Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Monday through Friday, Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Walters is also the perfect place to watch football with friends, whether it be Monday, Thursday, or the weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three balls, two strikes. Bases full, one out. Floro sets at the letters. Here's the pitch. Swinging a ground ball to Diaz at first. He's coming home. The force out there. The return throw to first is dropped by the first baseman. Coming toward the plate is Thomas. And now they're going to call Bell out. It's the Trey Turner rule. Bell is called out. The inning is over. And the runs will not score. When he touched the base, the ball hit him in the back. He was already on the base. It's a judgment at that point. I get it. If the ball hits him inside the line, and he's still running? Yeah, great. But come on, guys. Use your freaking common sense. One time. Winning run at third. Here's the pitch to Brinson. Swing gets away. This one going to the backstop, and the Nationals are going to lose on a wild pitch. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it happened again. The Trey Turner rule the runner interference rule, striking the Nationals once again, striking the Nationals for a third time in less than two years in what ends up being a wild game, a sloppy game, and another Nationals loss in the 2021 season. 8-7, the 10-inning final at the Miami Marlins. Mark, these were two really bad teams on display on Monday night, but this also was a rule that, of course, we have seen way too often previously and it comes back to bite the Nats again. You cannot make this stuff up. A season that has been anything but a good one for the Nationals gets even more bizarre with what happened with Josh Bell in the latter innings on Monday night. I mean, (laughs) at this point, if you don't know the rule, if you're a Nats fan and you don't know the rule, shame on you because we've seen it invoked enough. And I don't know if anybody else in baseball has been called for it or if it's only the Nationals. Previously, it was only Trey Turner. Now it's on Josh Bell as well. But for those who do not know, the rule is such. If you as the batter runner are in fair territory, so outside of that 45-foot running lane, and in the umpire's judgment, you impede the first baseman's ability to catch the ball, then you are called out for interference. And in this case, it is a double play and a killer double play because it costs them the go-ahead run at the plate. Now, the Hang up that Davey Martinez and the Nationals have all along with this, and because it's essentially the same thing happened all three times. They're conceding that Trey Turner previously and that Josh Bell tonight was in fair territory. 
where he's not supposed to be. But they're also saying that the ball did not hit him until he had already reached first base. And that in the umpire's judgment, they are allowed to say there is no interference because it's too late, essentially. Now, the umpires, Bill Miller was the crew chief. He spoke to a pool reporter and is basically saying that has nothing to do with it. That once you are ruled having been in fair territory out of the runner's lane and the ball strikes you and you did not give the fielder a chance to catch the throw, it doesn't matter whether you would have been safe or not. You're going to be called for it. We can go round and round of this. Obviously, the Nationals think it's wrong. I think we can all agree that there needs to be a review of this rule in the future because this happens too much. And and the biggest argument against it is, is that it rewards a bad throw by the catcher. Josh Bell was not going to be out. Whether he was in fair territory or foul territory, he was not going to be out. He was going to be safe. The inning was going to continue. And instead, it ends up rewarding the defense for making a bad throw. Now, that said, he was way in fair territory, and he's got to know better than that. There was no reason for him to be where he was. So I'm a little less on the national side on this one than on the Trey Turner's one. But I do think it's another reason that this whole rule, everybody in baseball does not like this rule. And it needs to be relooked at, and there needs to be some element of common sense involved in it. So here's what happened this time with the Trey Turner rule, which I guess now we have to call the Trey Turner slash Josh Bell rule. Top of the 10th, one out, bases loaded, game tied at seven. Josh Bell grounds in what ultimately ends up being a 3-2-3 double play for the final two outs. Bell is called out for running out of the baseline. Bell in running took the glove off of the Marlins first baseman, Lewin Diaz, and Bell took the baseball off his back. Now, like you said, it was as clear as can be that he ran into fair territory. Bell did run onto the infield grass during part of his run to first base. But the thing about the rule, and you just noted this, the rule isn't that the runner is out if he runs, say, inside the first baseline. The rule gets misconstrued like this all the time, including by announcers. I've seen announcers do this. That's not the rule. The rule is, like you said, the runner is out if he runs say, inside the first baseline, and in doing so, interferes with the fielder taking the throw at first base. It rewards a bad throw like you just said. The throw from the Marlins catcher, Nick Fortes, was not good. And so, yeah, I mean, shame on Josh Bell for running onto the infield grass. I mean, you know, that's a little bizarre that he did that. But if you're the umpire and you're being objective about this, it's certainly not clear that Josh Bell would have been out had he not run onto the infield grass like he did You know, this was a really ugly game. This was a game between two loser teams. I mean, let's be honest about it. So it's kind of comical that this came up. But man, the scene after this happened. So you have the absurdity of Davey Martinez, who still can't leave the dugout because of the recent procedure on his leg, yelling from the dugout. And at one point, the umpires like walk over to him to talk to him. Like, I thought that was actually kind of nice of them to walk over to him to give him, you know, a chance to say what he was saying. And you could tell some of the things that he was saying. But the other funny thing to me was that Ryan Zimmerman, who was on the on-deck circle, who, who like never says anything, he started going off so much so that it looked for a while like Zimmerman might get tossed. He actually had to be kind of like pushed back and escorted back to the Nationals dugout by, I think it was a coach and a teammate or something like that. So it was bonkers seeing all this. And it just, the whole thing reeked of like the theater of the absurd, given the two teams, given that the rule pops up again. Davey can't leave the dugout. He's screaming. Zimmerman, who never yells, is all of a sudden yelling. It, it just, it was wildly entertaining. It was, and there was even more to it than we knew at the time. So let's go through a few other things here. First of all, 
and I know we're going to be playing the clip for everyone. Davey afterwards in his Zoom session with us was as irate as I've ever heard him in one of those sessions. I've heard him off the record kind of go nuts on some things, but this was, you know, ostensibly live to everyone. And he had to really catch himself not to say a few words that he shouldn't be saying in a live uh, session like that. So that's number one. It's a brutal, it's a brutal, brutal freaking uh, play. It really is. I mean, it's, 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 it's horrible. But number two was that, and he wanted to make sure we all knew this, is that they twice were asking for reviews of two different plays there in the 10th inning. The umpires claimed to them that his time had expired, essentially. DBA, guess hey, hold on. Just so you know, that wasn't, that wasn't all of it. We were trying, we were trying to get, get, get a, uh, we were trying to get him to, re, to, to do a review. And Doug Eddings said he's gonna, they're going to review the play at home. They thought I want to review the play at first. He says, there's no review. We want to review the play at home. We thought the catcher didn't step on the base when he caught the ball. Doug said he was going to allow it. Freaking Miller comes over and says, nope, too late. Just like the last play, we want to review that one and see if, see if Brinza got hit. He was already off the field. That wasn't 20 seconds. You get 20 seconds to challenge a call. And Bill Miller, the crew chief, is saying that they had well beyond that and it was too late. Now, what they were trying to challenge was not the interference call, but whether or not Fortes, the catcher, actually had his foot on the plate when he caught the ball in the middle of the, you know, while turning the double play. And Miller would not review that and essentially is saying, no, you're too late. Now, he was too late because they were arguing all that time about the interference call. So is it incumbent upon you to say, we're challenging the call at home plate? Oh, and by the way, now I'm going to scream at you about the call at first base. (laughs) I don't know the protocol for that. So that's number one. And then on the final play of the game, in the bottom of the 10th, the wild pitch, they wanted to get a review of whether or not the pitch actually hit Lewis Brinson, the batter, in the foot. And watching the replays afterwards, it's close, but I don't think it did hit him. But again, they just wanted a review of it. And the umpires are saying, no, you took too long uh, at the end of a game to ask for that. And Davey was especially irate about that one as well. I mean, he let it all out tonight in a way that we have not really seen from him before. And I'm sure that this was not isolated to tonight's game. But this has been a building up of the way the last two months have gone for this team. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, I was thinking about Zimmerman going off like he did. Zimmerman had a terrible night. 0 for 5, left eight men on base. So I would think that that was maybe part of him going off like he did. The umpires were right at the very least about that game-ending wild pitch. That was not a hit-by-pitch. That was a wild pitch. That was a uh, vintage Sam Clay bouncer in the dirt that ended up ending the ball game. But here's the thing about the Josh Bell play. It shouldn't have mattered. It may well not have mattered if not for a terrible base running blunder by Luis Garcia. Pitch. Swinging a fly ball deep right field toward the corner, chasing back Sanchez to the warning track at the wall, and it's off the wall. Karam's by him back toward the infield. Garcia goes to third. He'll stop there. And in at second with a double is Thomas. So Garcia was back to tag at second base on the ball off the wall, and on a double, he advances only to third base. And the Nationals have been a terrible base running team this season, and this once again pops up in this game on Monday night. Luis Garcia was the Nats' automatic runner on second to begin the top of the 10th inning with the game tied at 7. Lane Thomas, who had another big game on Monday night, leads off the top of the 10th with an opposite field double to right field. But Luis Garcia inexplicably doesn't score from second base. Yeah, he was on second base, but he only advanced one base 
on a double. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. I guess he thought that the ball might be caught and was waiting to tag up. Okay, fine. But still, he ended up advancing just the one base. I mean, that was awful. And that, to me, is what the bigger boo-boo from that inning is. Like, I know everyone talks about what happened with Josh Bell, but the Garcia base running screw-up, that's the real takeaway from that 10th inning. I agree. That changes the whole inning right there. And on one hand, you can say, okay, you kind of understand on a deep fly ball, he wants to make sure if the ball is caught that he tags up and reaches third base. But here's the thing. When you see the ball go over the right fielder's head, and it's clearly going all the way to the wall, even if he catches the ball, there's going to be enough time for you to get back to second, tag up, and still make it. He's Unless you're Roberto Clemente out there, you're not making that throw from the base of the wall to third base and throwing him out. So you can go, if not fully halfway, you can go at least a third of the way down the baseline and be ready for that moment when the ball is either caught or it falls in. And the moment that it falls in, you're going to score the go-ahead run. So yes, that was, I think, a, a more egregious mistake. It doesn't get the attention because of the controversy of the interference call and the history of that with the Nationals. But that was one of, like you said, many base running mistakes this team has made this year. And on the one hand, you want to say, hey, he's 21 years old. You have to understand that things like that are going to happen. By the same token, there have been a lot of things in the last two months with some of their younger players that they have had to teach them that it feels like are things you should know before you get to the big leagues. They're not things you should be learning at the big league level. And that to me, it's easy for me to say when I'm watching it on TV from a thousand miles away, but that to me felt like one of those that you should already know having experienced that before being in the big leagues. Yeah, it's uh, almost like the Nationals have a player development problem or something. I don't know. The Nationals entered games on Monday dead last in the majors in the best all-encompassing base running statistic there is, fan graphs, base running runs. The Nats entered games on Monday 30th out of 30 teams in base running runs on the year. If it feels like the Nats have been a bad base running team this season, that's because they have been. And it's not all Victor Robles' fault either, all right? He's been a big part of it, but it's not just him. Others have had screw-ups, and Luis Garcia had a big screw-up in this game on Monday night. It's a really tough call as a runner, but, you know, you I think you have time. You still have time if you went halfway. If he caught it, go back and, and try to tag. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith, and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. 
Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you. And that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Both delivery. Ground ball toward the middle. Escobar ranges, and it's under his glove into center field. This game is tied. De La Cruz scores. Sanchez slides into third as the throw goes into second. Brinson sneaks one through to tie the game at seven. Escobar ranged to his left, got a glove on it, but didn't come up with it. And the Marlins have come back to tie the Nationals yet again. Another instance of sloppiness for the Nats in this game. Alcides Escobar, two crucial errors, each one coming in a three-run inning for the Marlins. Now, look, Alcides has been an overall positive for the Nats. He had another multi-hit game on Monday night, three for six with three singles. So, you know, we're not here to, like, trash Alcides Escobar all of a sudden. But these errors loom large. Alcides and the Marlins' three-run third committed a two-out fielding error on a grounder by Brian De La Cruz as Escobar failed to field the grounder. The ball went up and off like the heel of his glove. 
And then Escobar in a Marlins three-run seventh committed a two-out run scoring fielding error as he failed in an attempted pick of a grounder up the middle by Lewis Brinson. The Marlins on that play tied the game at seven. It was interesting to me. Each Escobar error happened with him running to his left towards second base. They were similar in nature. Look, he's been pretty steady as a fielder at shortstop. I know errors are going to happen, but geez, uh, those were two very poorly timed errors in particular. Yeah, and you know, when, when you let him it happened twice in the same game and in critical moments of the game. The first one helped prolong an inning that then led to a two-run homer. And the second one, as you said, actually allowed the tying run to score. And on a team with so many kids, you're one of the few veterans out there. You're the starting shortstop of this team. I get it. Everybody's going to make some errors along the way. Nobody's perfect. But you really want to avoid two of them in the same game on similar plays at critical moments like that. That was especially unfortunate and just kind of underscored the sloppiness of this game. And I mean, there are so many things you can point to. I know some are going to say, like, why are we bothering breaking down these kinds of things on a September 20th game between the Nationals and the Marlins? But the airs, the base running, the relief pitching, the four for 17 with runners in scoring position, they had 17 at bats with runners in scoring position in this game and only converted four times. I just feel like we've watched this game so many times here lately against the Marlins in particular. You know what their record is now when they score five or more runs in a game? Since August 26th, they're two and 10. They're two and 10 when they score five or more runs. It's because the pitching has been awful. The fundamentals have not been good. And even on a day like this, if they scored seven runs, you say, hey, that should be enough. Yeah, it should be enough. But there were 12 runs out there for them if they had converted in some other spots. And I get it. It's end of a bad season and the results don't matter. But these things wear on you. And I know that it's wearing on those guys in that clubhouse. They are at about their wits end now with two weeks to go this season. Nats did hit, like you said, didn't hit enough. But they do score seven runs. They do total 12 hits. They do draw eight walks. I mean, that should be enough to win. Jeez, how many freaking runs do you have to score to win games these days? Multiple Nationals did have good offensive games. I mentioned all CDs with his three hits. Uh, Josh Bell did have a good game offensively, one for four with a double and a couple of walks. We had Luis Garcia having two hits, including an opposite field RBI double with one out in the Nationals three-run fifth for a 6-3 Nats lead. That was good to see. We saw Kbert Ruiz have himself a productive day at the plate. Three for five with two two-run singles and another single. Uh, Ruiz in the Nats two-run first, a two-out bases loaded two-run single for a 2 nothing Nats lead. Did a nice job of fighting off an inside pitch into shallow left field. Ruiz in the Nats three-run fifth, a one-out tie-breaking two-run single down the right field line for a 5-3 Nats lead as Ruiz again did a good job of turning on an inside pitch. And then Ruiz in the top of the ninth had a leadoff single on a 1-2 pitch. Look, he has not hit for like any power since he came up to the major league level, but he is starting to get some hits. He's had some big hits in terms of like multi-run producing hits, and I thought a really nice job on those two two two-run singles on Monday night, taking inside pitches and doing some really good things with them. Yeah, and the book on him all along has been he's got excellent bat-to-ball skills, good contact guy. We've seen that, that when he's made out, it's not because he's swinging and missing, it's because he's popping him up or flying out, and he earned a night like this. And I'll tell you what, three of his last four starts now, he's got three hits in each of those games. So it is starting to come together. Yeah, he's got a long way to go still. You're right. We haven't really seen that power stroke from him at all that he was showing in AAA. But you felt like it was only a matter of time before some of these started to fall in. 
maybe this little stretch here is what kind of allows him to relax. I'm sure he's had in his own mind all kinds of pressure on himself, wanting to make a splash here as the top rated prospect, the number one player they got in all these trades. Oh, and by the way, you're also the new starting catcher and learning a pitching staff. I mean, there's a lot on his plate right now, but it was good to see him do some positive things, be rewarded for it. And you hope there's more of that to come here in the next two weeks. Yeah. And especially being a rookie catcher with uh, this pitching staff, which isn't exactly Maddox, Glavin and Smoltz. Uh, Hitting for power was Lane Thomas on Monday night, two for five with a solo homer, a double and a walk. Thomas and the Nats two-run first run, a leadoff seven-pitch walk, despite having been down to the count of 1.12. Thomas in the top of the second, smashing a two-out full-count solo homer to center field for a 3 nothing Nats lead, despite having been down in that count at 1.12. That was some shot by Thomas, the home run going a projected 413 feet per stat cast. And then Thomas in that top of the 10th, the leadoff opposite field double to right field. So productive offensive game for Lane, although Lane did commit a fielding error. Like we said, sloppy game. Nats total three errors in the game. This one did not prove to be of much consequence, but Lane Thomas committing a fielding error on a Lewis Brinson one out full count single bottom of the six. Uh, Lane essentially butchering an attempted backhanded scoop or stab of the single off a of bounce. So, you know, good offensive game. I mean, I don't want to kill him too much for the air, but Lane Thomas continues to do well. Yeah. And the power, I think, is what stands out that I'm not sure anybody really thought they were going to see from him. He hit that to straightaway center field with authority. He is showing that he can do that in addition to getting on base and running well and all those other things. So continues. Uh, I'm, I'm still not going to call it like you want me to and say that he is the opening day center fielder next year and leadoff hitter. He's obviously moving in the right direction. Although Victor Robles has done a nice job at AAA. I don't know if we're going to see him again this year, but he has done what they want him to do there. But Thomas has been everything they could ask for. And we do have to point out, because I know we've raved about the trade and saying, can you believe they got Lane Thomas for John Lester? John Lester has turned it around in St. Louis. And on uh, Monday night, he finally got his 200th career win. He's been really good here lately, and he's helping lead the Cardinals likely into the playoffs. John Lester may be pitching in October after all of this. Now, still doesn't mean it was a bad trade. Not at all. Lester had no future with the Nationals. Lane Thomas may have a long future with the Nationals. That makes it a great trade. But the idea of they dumped a guy who had nothing left in the tank, turns out that Lester does have a little something left in the tank, and the Cardinals are maximizing it right now. The 1-0. Ground ball right side. Goldie there. A flip. Garcia there. Nine in a row for St. Louis. 11 games above the 500 mark. And win number 200 in the career of John Lester. Lester with the Cardinals. 10 starts. ERA of 4-0-2. That's a full run better than Lester's ERA with the Nationals. Over 16 starts. 5-0-2. But like you said, I will take Lane and say thank you very much and wish John Lester all the best in his future endeavors. Lane Thomas, 146 major league plate appearances now with the Nats. Batting average 302 on base percentage 390, slugging percentage 548. We may not be calling it now. I do believe we will be calling it soon. Wolf Zuckerman will be calling this election at some point soon. I promise you people that. All of you loyal listeners to the Nats Chat Podcast, Zuckerman will call the election sooner rather than later. Here's what I'm saying. It's not too close to call. It's just still too early to call. And there's a difference. Oh, okay. There's I a difference you. there, as you know. I got you. Well, we'll see. 
Juan Soto got on base four more times on Monday night. Jeez, like what happened? The sun rose in the east this morning and Juan Soto got on base four times. I mean, it's just, it, we take it for granted at this point. Uh, one for three with a single and three walks. The single, by the way, coming at the top of the second, a two-out single on an 0-2 pitch because that's what he does. Major league leading on base percentage up to 461. His major league leading walks total is up to 127. And when it comes to the batting race, Juan Soto, 315 one percentage point behind Trey Turner's 316 as of the taping of this podcast. I mean, it's just, you know, we bury it now because it's like it happens every game and it's like there's so many other things it feels like to get into. But geez, four more times the guy gets on base, adding to that total you brought up the other day in terms of Juan Soto doing what Barry Bonds was doing at his uh, roided up peak. Yeah, 22nd time now this year that he's reached base four times. And it is remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable. Yes, some of it is pitchers avoiding him, and he was intentionally walked there in the 10th inning right before the big bell play, but it's not all walks. He's doing it in a lot of other ways. And, you know, Bryce, I think we talked about this the other day, but I mean, Bryce Harper is putting up ridiculous numbers in the second half of the season, but honestly, Soto is right there with him. The only category Bryce hasn't beat is in slugging, and in a weird way, it's because of doubles. They're pretty close in homers, but Bryce has a ton of doubles and Soto doesn't for whatever reason. But otherwise, Soto is outpacing Bryce Harper in batting average, on base, ahead of him in runs scored. They're real close on RBI, tons more walks, much fewer strikeouts. And Bryce Harper is probably at this moment the odds on favorite to win MVP. And we've kind of brought this up before. Is there a chance Soto's in the discussion? The fact that he's playing on a team that's going to end up with 95 plus losses is going to hurt him. But I don't want to lose sight of what he's doing. It's not just getting on base. He's doing everything right now. He is the complete package. Yeah, the fact that he's on a bad team shouldn't hurt him. But to your point, there is that fear that it will hurt him. The nit to pick with Soto this season is the lack of doubles. That is strange. Juan Soto only has 18 doubles on the year. For comparison's sake, Alcides Escobar has 16 doubles on the season. Victor Robles has 21 doubles on the season. I don't know. It's just kind of a fluky thing. But yeah, like Soto's got the homers. He's got 26 homers. But it is strange that he only has 18 doubles and he could potentially finish the season with fewer than 20 doubles. That's just odd that Juan Soto would have uh, so few doubles in a season, but it's just been that kind of year for him. Yeah, I remember Bryce was like that actually when he was in DC as well. And it didn't make a lot of sense. Like why he, when he hits the ball, he hits it a mile and hits it out of the park or he has singles. And I mean, Soto's been a good doubles hitter, especially when he goes the opposite field and all that. I really don't know. Maybe some of that's positioning. Maybe defenses are better at like protecting those areas, but it's a weird little quirk of this. And that really more than the home runs, that's what's keeping the slugging percentage down. He's brought it way up from where it was in the first half, obviously, but it's because of home runs. It's not because of doubles. Yeah, he's slugging 530 on the year. I mean, Luis Garcia has 14 doubles on the year. Soto has just the 18. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. 
And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code CHAT and games on Tuesday night include the St. Louis Cardinals at the Milwaukee Brewers at 740. Starting for the Brewers, maybe the best pitcher in baseball this season, Brandon Woodruff, 28 starts, ERA at 255, whip of 0963. The Brewers are the play. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Now Fetty's into the wine, here's the pitch. Breaking ball skied in the air to deep right center field again. This one way back, going, going, and gone goodbye. For the second time of the game, Jazz Chisholm Jr. has homered off Eric Fetty. Well, when it came to the Nats pitching on Monday night, it was, again, not good enough. Eric Fetty was the Nats starting pitcher. He ends up allowing four runs, two earned in five innings. You know, he was maybe so-so, like if you want to say that. He was certainly not great. He only gave up four hits. That's good. But three of the four hits were home runs. He also gave up a single. He did have five strikeouts versus no walks. So I'll give him credit for that. But he threw 96 pitches over the five innings. And man, the home runs that he gave up, I mean, these were moonshots that Fetty allowed. He gave up three runs, one earned in the bottom of the third, retired the first two batters he faced, but then came trouble. A two-out solo homer by Jazz Chisholm Jr. on a bomb to the upper deck in right field. The homer per stat cast only went a projected 415 feet. I mean, 
it felt like it went 4,015 feet. Just the visual of it was so impressive. You then did get one of those Alcides Escobar errors in the inning. And then after that, Fetty gave up a two-out game-tying two-run homer by Jesus Sanchez to right center field to tie the game at three. That homer was actually longer than that initial Chisholm homer, the Sanchez homer going a projected 421 for Stadcast. And then Fetty allowed a run in the bottom of the fifth on a two-out full-count solo homer by Jazz Chisholm to center field to cut the Nats' lead to 6-4. So did Fetty get rocked? I mean, maybe not, but he gave up three homers. He only lasted for five innings. This is his team that he, like, torments, and he didn't torment them this time. I guess, you know, he's faced the Marlins, it feels like, so many times this year. I guess at some point they're going to pick up on a few things with him. But, you know, to me, another ho-hum start and another disappointing season for Eric Fetty. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, he has been absolutely dominant against the Marlins this year. 2-0, 2-0, and, and I think an ERA under 1. And in his career, he's 4-0 with a 1.10 ERA entering this one. So maybe it was due to have one like that. And, you know, I mean, he retired 15 of the 20 batters he faced, and one of them was on an Escobar air. So only four batters reached based off of his mistakes, but those mistakes were huge, like you said. So it's the home runs that just killed him. And I wanted to take a moment to appreciate Jazz Chisholm whose full name, by the way, for those who don't know, and I just learned this because I finally looked it up, Jazrado Hermes Arrington Chisholm Jr., native of the Bahamas. I'll tell you what, I've seen him play enough now this year. I really like him. He plays with energy. He does a lot of different things. He's got personality. He's got a great name, of course. I like him a lot. There are some exciting young players on that Marlins team. They don't have nearly enough of them, not nearly enough depth, as we've talked about before. But I really like Chisholm, and I look forward to watching him over the course of his career. He's quickly turning into a Nats killer in uh, just his first big league season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what team he signs with in six years or where he gets <laughs> traded to by the Marlins in three years. We'll see. But yeah, he is really talented and he's got, you know, he's got some charisma to him. You know, he, he knows he's good, which is fine. I, I think baseball needs that. Then that's bullpen on Monday night. So look, there was more bad. Patrick Murphy and Austin Voth combined to allow three runs two earned in the bottom of the seventh. Sam Clay, you, you knew, by the way, after everything that happened in the top of the 10th, the Nats were going to give up the game-winning run in the bottom of the 10th. That, that was as, as sure of a thing as you could ever have. Sam Clay gives up the unearned game-winning run in the bottom of the 10th on an intentional walk, a stolen base, and a walk-off wild pitch. I mean, you just knew that something like that was going to be happening. But when it came to the good from the bullpen, Alberto Baldonado, scoreless bottom of the six, two strikeouts. Andres Machado, perfect bottom of the eighth, two strikeouts. But the headline item is Tanner Rainey. There's something happening here. What it is, not exactly clear, but this guy is on fire right now. The 3-2 to De La Cruz. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. 97 miles an hour blows him away. Three strikeouts in a row again for Rainey. Six in a row in two appearances. Returning to the big leagues. Combine that with a nine straight at AAA. 15 straight batters that he has struck out. A perfect bottom of the ninth inning with three strikeouts to preserve a seven-all tie. We saw the return of Rainey to the majors in the 3-0 win over the Rockies at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. A perfect top of the seventh in that game with three strikeouts. And that's recalled Rainey from AAA Rochester on Saturday. He, in his final outings with Rochester, struck out the final nine batters he faced. So this is now 15 consecutive batters who Rainey has faced he has struck out. 
I haven't seen, I don't know if that's some kind of a record. It sure feels like it should be a record. I know it's early and small sample size and everything else, but geez, he looks outstanding. Uh, This is great to see. (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely great to see. I don't know if they're allowed to do records that span multiple levels of baseball. (laughs) That's the only problem there because it includes AAA and the big leagues. I'm not sure you're allowed to do that. But hey, if he keeps this up, we may just be looking at what the major league record is for consecutive batters struck out over multiple appearances. There's something happening there. Absolutely. Thank you, Buffalo Springfield. He's throwing with authority. I mean, he's pumping strikes. He's he's throwing 97, but he's there's a difference. It's not just him putting pitches on a platter over the plate. He looks totally in sync. He looks like he has confidence throwing the ball. He's using the fastball to get ahead. He's still able to go to the slider. But I mean, he caught Chisholm just looking at a 97-mile-an-hour pitch right over the plate, almost like he had no idea what was coming. So something is clicking right now for him, and you just hope that he can continue this. And I think we are seeing why Davey really did want him back up before the season was over, that that can go a long way. Now, I know we've talked about the volatility of relievers and who knows what it means for next year. But if the choice is having Rainey finish the season at AAA and and go home with a seven ERA in the big leagues or come back up here and look lights out for a couple of weeks before going to the offseason, I'll take this and they'll all take that because that at least gives you some reason to believe that he can still do it and that there may be something big for him still in the future here. By the way, the corresponding roster move to the Nats bringing Rainey back was optioning Wander Suero to AAA Rochester. We haven't yet mentioned that. But yeah, that's the thing. I mean, look, I've pummeled the Nats for guys getting worse under their watch. So let's give him some credit here. Maybe just maybe the Nats have fixed Rainey or are in the process of fixing Rainey. He was having an atrocious season at the time of his demotion to AAA Rochester. And that demotion was all the way back on August 1st. He spent a good month and a half at AAA. Rainey this season at the Major League level, 25 innings, 720 ERA, 176 whip had given up five homers. He looks like a totally different guy here over these last few weeks when you include AAA and certainly over these first two appearances back at the Major League level. One more thing from this wackadoo game. How about the catch by Josh Bell in left field? Here's the wind by Fetty in the pitch. Breaking ball hit high in the air to left center deep. Bell back on the warning track at the wall. He leaps and he makes the catch for the out. Josh Bell against the fence in left field in front of the Marlins bullpen. Takes a home run away from Lewis Brinson. Dare I say a home run robbery? It was hard to tell on TV whether that would have been a home run or not. But whatever. Can we just call it that? Josh Bell gets the start in left field. He makes a really nice leaping backhanded catch against the outfield wall of a deep full count flyout by Lewis Brinson for the first out in the bottom of the second inning. It's been interesting to me because we've seen more and more of Bell in left field in recent weeks. It feels so like the ball has not found Josh Bell. It doesn't feel like he's had many opportunities. He gets a big one in this spot on Monday night and he delivers good for Josh Bell. Yeah, this was really the first time that he's been tested at all. He's barely had anything hit him in his previous four starts out there. And I'm calling it. I'm saying he robbed a homer. He believes he did. So I'll take his word for it. And he was thrilled about it. He said, I can't remember another time someone asked me, Bogey asked me if I'd ever robbed a home run. I feel like, you know, something that I practice in high school. Um, I don't think I got one in, in high school. I can't remember anything in the minor leagues. Definitely didn't rob any home runs at, at PNC playing right field. Remember, he came up as an outfielder and started as an outfielder with the Pirates. So it's not completely foreign to him, but 
there was a big smile on his face, and he really enjoyed that, and they really enjoyed seeing him do that. He also had a really nice throw to the plate. It was a sack fly, and it was one of those, like, nobody's going to throw him out. It's not going to happen. But he actually made it kind of interesting with a strong throw. And so I've been happy to see this, and I don't know what it means, you know, beyond uh, this year. They're basically doing it right now as a way to try to get both Bell and Zimmerman in the lineup. And the irony here is that Zim, well, he's been great pinch hitting. If you look back at the last several games that he started, those have been bad games. 0 for 5, 1 for 5, double plays, strikeouts, all that. He's been much better just getting one at bat late in the game. But we may see it again on Tuesday because they're facing another lefty. Why not? You know, I mean, he he's showing he can handle it. So why not? There's no reason not to do it. He seems to enjoy it. Good for him. It's, it's too bad. There's a different game that we'd be talking about here tonight if things had gone differently later on. And we would have really been highlighting Josh Bell for the right reasons instead of for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I mean, I think with Josh Bell in left field, it's the kind of thing it's like, all right, you don't want to push your luck. It's not something you want to do a lot, but it's nice to know that you can do it if you need to do it. You know, you, you have cultivated some more depth here in putting Josh Bell in left field and at least so far having success doing that over these last few weeks. So I give the Nats credit for that. For next season, you know if you need to put Josh in left field, you can. And, you know, the world is not going to stop revolving around its axis. Well, you mentioned the matchup, or at least the Marlins starting pitcher for Tuesday night's Game 2. It is another installment of Rogers versus Rogers. Josh Rogers versus Trevor Rogers. So we'll see what happens with that. You can always uh, let us know what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, Podcast at gmail.com, including if you have a prediction for 2022 with the, for the Nationals you want to share with us. Also, if you have a tale of October 2019, you want to share how you experience and that's winning the World Series, let us know via voice memo. You can email the file to us again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. First pitch to Turner. And a full swing and a dribbler up the third base side. This is going to be a tough chance. Peacock hurries his throw, and the ball gets away. The ball threw Guriel down the right field line. Gomes is going to head for third and Turner to second as Guriel's glove got knocked off, and they're going to call Turner out for being out of the baseline. Oh, my. So instead of second and third, they're going to send Gomes back to first, and Turner is out for being out of the baseline. And Davey Martinez is livid at Sam Holbrook. He's saying he's on the outside. Davey is livid. And he wants to talk to Sam Holbrook, who's coming over. So Turner is out, and Gomes goes all the way back to first, and Martinez is steaming, pointing up the line, saying this is where Turner was running, right down the line. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.